Welcome back, everybody. I'm John. And I'm Jake. We're here today to discuss the 1993 film Falling Down, directed by Joel Schumacher, starring Michael Douglas. And this is a one I picked, and I picked this one because I haven't seen it before, but I've seen a decent amount of Joel Schumacher's movies, and he strikes me as someone who's like really up and down in terms of quality. Um, so I'm always kind of interested to see what side of the equation one of his films is going to lie. Is this one a hit or a miss for you? Uh, mostly a hit. Not entirely, but I liked it mostly. What did you think overall? I, 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 I enjoyed the performance by Michael Douglas, but I think it's a pretty depressing story. <laughs> oh, it's a yeah. very depressing movie. <laughs> um, brings up some interesting points, though. Yeah. Um, but we can delve into that while we get into the plot. Yeah, sure. So the plot of this movie... Largely follows a man named William Foster, who is played by Michael Douglas, though he's often referred to by the title on his vanity license plate on his car, Defense, D.F.E.N.S. And it begins with Defense sitting in his car in the middle of gridlock traffic in Los Angeles on the hottest day of the year, and the guy just decides, I can't take it anymore. And he gets out, leaves his car there, only taking his briefcase with him left his car in gridlock traffic, and someone says, where are you going? To which he says, I'm going home. And he's basically committed himself to walking across Los Angeles to go see his uh, ex-wife and their daughter. They've been estranged, him and his wife, from uh, one another for a while. And today happens to be the day of his daughter's birthday, which is why he's so intent on going home. And while he makes his trek across the city, he runs into... Just about as many different kind of people as you can, from miserly grocery store workers to lying homeless people to rich assholes to Nazis. To gangbangers. To gangbangers, <laughs> yeah. To annoying uh, fast food workers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he really runs a gambit on people you can run into, but um, his trip across the city kind of turns into a vengeance trip as he gets uh, better armed as his journey goes on. And all the while, while this is happening, there is a cop played by Robert Duvall named Prendergast. And it's his last day as a police officer in the LAPD. But he has been following kind of defense throughout the day, hearing of everything that's been going on. And he realizes, like, hey, this guy going home to his family has been estranged from, well-armed. He's a threat. Yeah. And no one really else seems to put that together. So he resolves himself to following him and the movie kind of becomes like a cat and mouse game, seeing where defense moves next along the city and Prendergast following behind him, kind of putting the pieces together on yeah. who this guy is. Cat and mouse, kind of crime and punishment-esque. Yeah. Um, but um, the first encounter where where defense goes uh, goes kind of um, violent, I guess, would be with the, the gangbangers after he gets out of his car, right? Yeah, well, it would be the the grocery store owner. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's yeah, right. he yeah. goes into a grocery store so he can um, buy something to break a dollar bill to use a payphone because he's going to call his wife and let her know that he's coming home. Or call his ex-wife and let her know. Uh, but he's not impressed with the store's prices. That's right. A can of Coke was something like 85 cents, and he thought it should be 50 cents. So he basically accosts this uh, grocery store worker. I mean, the guy's kind of miserly and mean to him, but still, he, like, takes his baseball bat and starts smashing up his property. Uh, yeah, that's right. Does a, does a lot, of, lot of damage and then proceeds to pay for the soda. 
Yeah. I think at full price as well as like something else. Or... No, no, at 50 cents. Oh, at 50 cents, that's right. Yeah, yeah. smashes up. That's his way of negotiating. Yeah, yeah. Smashing up this guy's merchandise. And uh, he gets his 50 cent price yes. so he can get the change to make the phone call. Yeah. Which ironically enough does not get picked up. Yes, yes. Which is, you know, this is you, you begin to see the, the break start to form mm. here. I mean, obviously we know something's up. We don't know about his wife and daughter being estranged from him at this point in the movie. Right. Um, but you, we know that there's something going on here because this, this, this guy just lost, lost his marbles, left his car in the middle of the highway and is now destroying yeah. a grocery store over, over 35 cents, which I don't know, just in for inflation is like what, like two or three bucks, I guess nowadays. Like, right. Um, so, I mean, it's not like an astronomical amount of money. No. Um, um, and I guess it's just a really important phone call at this point. And we don't even know who the, the person is on, on the other line who, when it's ringing, it's, it's his, it's his ex-wife. Right. I mean, I, mean, I guess you can deduce that, but we don't know that at this point, um, because she doesn't answer. So yeah. <laughs> this only leads him further into his descent, so to speak. I mean, you discussed, uh, that you liked his performance and yes. I think that he, uh, defense William Foster strikes me as like a very off kilter guy. And I, I love the look of him because he looks like a, a guy from a bygone era. Just his whole design of the character with the short sleeve collared shirt, tie, pocket protector, the glasses and flat top military style haircut he's rocking. And the briefcase, right? And the briefcase, yeah. yeah it all um, paints this picture of a 1950s, 1960s businessman. Yep. But yet he feels like he's so out of sorts. Wandering across this urban terrain of Los Angeles. Yeah. He just looks so different from everybody else in the environment. Yes, he does. He does, yeah. Um, that, that, that's actually kind of, I think, the, the get-up, so to speak, is what made him a target for the the people who wanted to, like, take the briefcase and make him pay for sitting on that, like... Oh, the gang of, yeah, bangers, the gang, the yeah. gang bangers. Yeah, I think that was his second encounter. That was his second encounter. Yeah. That was the thing that happens after the grocery store clerk. Yeah. Where he's just hanging out, and th- those guys, um, I didn't the gangbangers. I didn't really care for them because they were really they were really cartoony. Yeah, this film it, it plays satirical a lot, but this was kind of over the top because these guys are very obviously movie gangsters. Yes, you know, oh, what are you doing here, Holmes? Yeah. You know, oh, I think he's got to pay a toll. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. he's got to pay a toll. Yeah, very kind of kind of cartoony. But um, he stands up to those gangsters with the bat that he took from the Korean, the Korean grocery store owner. That's right. Yeah, he takes the bat. So he's like slowly accruing the uh, weaponry. weaponry. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that was, it, it's played as a triumphant moment. It's like, yeah, he's kind of standing up for himself. Or a movie plays it. Because I think this goes along with the look, but they want you to at least, I feel like at first... Um, think that defense is a character who's been like pushed around a lot i think yeah that's what they insinuate um uh definitely and he kind of not to fast forward but he kind of says that you know at the end um when he finally confronts Prendergast, it's like you know I'm, i made missiles for this country i defended this country like from soviets or whatever and, like, yeah you should get a medal for that they lied to me yeah yeah right. exactly but we never really see him getting pushed around in this movie because it's all him pushing Pushing back. Yeah. But actually the one we do see get pushed around a lot is Prendergast. It's his last day on the job I mentioned earlier, but he's only retiring. He's retiring early because his wife is basically forcing him to. So she's already pressuring him to retiring. His coworkers make fun of him to his face. 
for being a desk jockey, for not, you know, being in the action, out on the beat, so to speak. His boss kind of half-heartedly is like, hey, I, I want you to stay, you know, because my higher-ups think you're a good cop that doesn't cause any trouble, but basically tells him, like, I don't really think you, you have what it takes to be a good cop anyway, though. Yeah. You're a wimp to or me. not so, anymore, yeah, yeah. after... He um, is a character that get that actually gets pushed around. Yes, I feel like as the movie goes on, as he starts learning about the story of defense moving across the city and starts tracking him, uh, he kind of gets his confidence back. Yes, yeah, because he's piecing the, the, this like this slew of you know violent encounters. Right. Um, you know, he's 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 tracking it across the city. He's the only one who's able to really put two and two together that you know the the guy, the grocery store owner who came in to report. Right. robbery or whatever which wasn't turned on not robbery because um, <laughs> he paid for all this stuff it was just vandalism i guess um from that point to you know hearing about how this dude walks into um what was the name of the fast food joint oh it was supposed to be like a mcdonald's no, yeah essentially yeah with, well, with a gun the gangbangers that they try to retaliate against him both a drive-by yeah, and, and it's pretty hilarious because they literally shoot everything around him except for him in the drive-by and lose control of their car and crash and he basically takes all their guns yeah he walks up to the crash afterwards and, and takes all their guns mm-hmm. um and shoots shoots one of the guys in the leg to let them to like let him bleed out as he's like yeah he says something to the effect of you got a chance to shoot at me so that's that's my chance to shoot at you yeah. you're lucky i didn't kill you kind of thing yeah yeah, knowing he's, you know, about... Well, they, they I think they all die except for the woman, right? That's in the car. I think it gets resolved that way. Does he bleed yeah, out? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Because when Prendergast interviews her in the in the hospital the second time, after they, they bring her in, she says, I'm not saying shit. And then he, he interviews her again in the hospital. I, don't, I think that was, like, insinuated that he didn't make it. Right. Um, I kind of fogged you on that, though, so... Okay. Um, but yeah, anyway, he uh, defense gets really well armed after that exchange and eventually goes into a fast food joint wanting some breakfast. And uh, this is probably the funniest scene in the movie by far because it's after 11.30. And yes. this particular fast food joint doesn't serve breakfast, breakfast after 11.30. It's like 11.33, he checks his watch and it's two minutes behind. But he, he says, you know, I, I really wanted some breakfast. I like to speak to the manager. And then the manager Rick comes Rick. over, and this is this guy's some perfect casting. I don't want to be mean to him, but he's got like the best shit eating grin ever. This man smiles at you, and it makes you hate him more. <laughs> and I think part of that is because he has a gap in his teeth. Yeah, they just casted this guy. They're like, okay, get someone who just looks super annoying. You're just gonna get on your nerves. And they nailed it. They nailed it. Yeah. So um, they go back and forth. That's not our policy. We don't serve breakfast. You're going to have to order something from the lunch menu. Defense says, hey, I just I just want some breakfast. Rick says, hey, I'm really sorry about that. And Defense <laughs> says, hey, so am I. Just pulls out a gun and proceeds to hold up this fast food restaurant, which is crowded with people. Yep. People trying to run out. He's like, nope, don't go anywhere. Don't Stay worry, you're not in danger. Yeah. I, just, I just want some breakfast. I just like, want some breakfast. <laughs> finish your lunch. Yeah. And then he accidentally like fires into the ceiling. He's like, no, it's it's a it's a it's a light trigger. It's a light, <laughs> light trigger, which is the last thing you want to hear. Yeah. <laughs> someone's holding up a place you're in. Yeah. And he starts like walking around the tables. Um, that woman's like like mid bite of her burger and he asks her like how is it and then she like vomits it up and he goes up oh, rick i think we have an unsatisfied customer here 
you're like she doesn't like the special sauce yes yeah she doesn't like the special sauce one of the funny things about it too is when he's holding up this place halfway through he changes his mind and decides i don't want breakfast anymore i think i'll have some lunch and then his big sticking point is when they give him the burger he asked for for lunch it's nothing like the image that's on the uh, yeah. menu. It's much like the life that he had been sold, believing this is what it would be like if I just do right, serve my country, right. jump through every hoop. I, I I'll be this like I'll have this you know flowery family with the white picket fence and and that's not the case. And I kind of like I think that's startling to him when he unwraps the, the burger because it's much like the lies that he'd been sold his entire life. You know, he, un- he finally unwraps like the fruits of his labor. It's not any right. what, anything that you'd been sold about. So, but a lot of the things that he goes through are things that all of us have to deal with. Right, you get your Big Mac from McDonald's, and no, it's not going to look like the picture on the menu. You know, never hear me complaining, but (laughs) well, fair enough. But you know, overpriced items at the store. Maybe we don't all have to deal with uh, gang members, but lying homeless people. That one scene where he's going through the park and that homeless person, you're trying to get some money from him, and he lies like ten times in 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 a minute. Yeah, (laughs) I love that one where he's like, "Come on, I'm a veteran, man. You're gonna like turn down a veteran." There's a great response by defense. Because he says, I was a nom. And he's like, what were you, a drummer boy? Because oh. it's 1993. This guy looks like he's in his late 20s or early 30s. Yeah. He's like, no, I meant to say the Gulf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, defense deals with like a lot of uh, things that we all have to deal with. But it's like it's a really aggressive Los Angeles, this city. There, there's a few nice people along the way or well-meaning people. But most people are distrustworthy, distrusting, aggressive, yeah. mean. And I think... I think a lot of that has to do with the heat. It's supposed, we're told that it's the hottest day of the year. It's the middle of the summer. It's an absolute scorcher, 90 plus. And it reminds me of the movie Do the Right Thing by Spike Lee, which also largely takes place during one hot day in the summer. And that's a big part of why tension rises between characters, because the heat is intolerable. And in this movie, Falling Down, there's a, a really interesting kind of like orange sheen and filter that's over the entire film and yeah. it kind of keeps reminding you like it's really hot out you can even see it indoors it's so hot yeah well, you can see it in Prendergast all the time actually anytime he steps out of the precinct he's always pretty much sopping wet so <laughs> right everybody's sweating because it's a really hot day every, every time you get a close-up on somebody's face you can sw- see the sweat pouring yeah. off it's like a Sergio Leone western yeah <laughs> you yeah. see the dirt and the sweat on everyone's face yeah I think that's a good point. I think that's a good point. Um, what you think it was the heat that ultimately broke him in that car? <laughs> you think he would have not gone on his rampage and his no, daughter would I, have had a normal I, I birthday? I think it was everything. Everything. I think it was everything that broke him and made him get out of that car. And I actually going back to the car. I, I love that um, as an introduction to his character. I said in the Moon episode, I like Sam Bell running on the treadmill because it shows him stuck in place. And I think with being in gridlock traffic yeah. for defense, it's kind of like that's the ultimate symbol of wanting to go someplace, but the world itself not allowing you. Yeah, yeah. Having having the ability to, right? Mm-hmm. And then like the way paved for you. Right. But yet you still can't move because there's other, maybe not the world, but other people are in your way, right? Like yeah. There are other drivers. It's powers outside of yourself yeah. that's preventing you from going where you want to go. And I think it's important that Prendergast also starts the movie in that same exact traffic that defense does. Because he, 
they they kind of mirror each other in some ways. I mentioned yeah. earlier about how they are two guys that are getting pushed around and stand up for themselves. They assert themselves, but in very different ways. Yeah. But they both they're they're products of the same environment. They're coming out of the same traffic. I guess that tries to yeah because I don't think that there's any like overall um, dismiss dismission of morality in this. I don't think he's trying to like deconstruct the idea of like a good guy versus a bad guy in like a post industrial Western <laughs> you know democratic mm-hmm. republic. But um, it, it kind of shows you that like you do have choice ultimately. Like that, 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 like defense did make choices that right. he could have not made. Um, but you kind of you still feel sympathetic for him though at the same time. But like then you you're then you're showing primary gas and it's like he puts up with this shit all the time and he's a cop so he deals with this shit all the time anyway and then he you know deals with shit by other cops it's just yeah. you know insufferable and the one thing that makes like his job you know palatable is, is that woman who used to be his his partner. his partner when he was on the beat right um and you know she's kind of tracking she's out in the field kind of tracking um uh, defense yeah defense's whereabouts while Prendergast yeah, is kind of putting the pieces together on a map like right and he's well he's the only one who takes it seriously too yeah um none of the other cops really seem to care and they they also are dismissive of him they're like hey we get it like maybe you want to play a little hero ball on your last day of work but come on don't waste my time buddy yeah like his boss even says it's like oh who are you looking for white guy collared shirt and tie do you want to arrest me you know (laughs) come on let's get real about this but prendergast is like this guy said he's going home to his wife and daughter that he's been estranged from. Yeah. He's well-armed, and he's involved directly or indirectly in all these violent and crazy incidents around the city. Yeah. Like, this is a big threat. He's the only one who... Because, and I think it's because, he's part of the same environment. Like, he, at some level, I think he has to get what defense is feeling. And I think that kind of comes together at the end. Yes. When yeah. they confront each other. Because, um, you know, defense... <coughs> Excuse me. No problem. Defense eventually makes it back home to his wife and his daughter, but they slip out the back door um, before he gets there, so he tracks them down to a pier by their house. And Which uh, to be his daughter's favorite pier to hang out in. Right. Yeah. His daughter's favorite spot, and um, he clears every all the uh, other pedestrians out with his gun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's afraid, and uh, he finally is achieved his goal of what he's wanted to do this entire movie, which is pretty much make it back to his, his daughter, particularly on her birthday. Yeah. I'd say that was his main priority. To give her that snow globe that he bought. At, right. Yeah. Which uh, didn't make it all the way. No. His uh, his his goals changed, maybe, as the went on. But anyway, he's yeah. with his wife and his daughter by the pier. And um, he's hugging his daughter. And his wife's, you know, terrified because he has a gun. And she says, you know, you're sick. You need help. Which he says you know, I'm sick. Take a look out around, like do what I did today. Walk across this city. It's sick out here. And like, just cut to Prendergast in the background. Like, yeah, it's sick. You know, I used to fish at this very pier and you can't even eat what you catch yep. because the water's infected. You can't even swim in here. I mean, that's sick. Yeah. Like he, uh, that's, I think them being part of the same environment is really important. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, that's part of why he was able to track him down. And, uh, I think one important part that we we skipped over was Prendergast's daughter passing. 
Yes, um, that... for no reason. She kind of just fell asleep one night at, at age two, I think. Yeah, she and... had infant death syndrome, which yeah. I think is a SARS-related complication. Uh, I shouldn't yeah. make claims like that, actually. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I, I... Um, but it's basically, we're told in the movie that she had this inter- infant death syndrome, um, but she got it very late, which is unusual. Yes, yeah. So I think that the, the shock of it for his wife is kind of what's driving her to want him home. Um, right, and that's, she why seems she, pretty... that's why he took the desk job because to assuage her fears. Yeah, um, that's him. also why he's retiring early. Yeah, yeah, um, and I think what Prendergast recognizes at the end here is that like I'm the good guy here, <laughs> and I know this. I'm I'm sound in my moral you know judgment and how this is going to play out, and the fact that I needed to stop this this psycho who's ravaging you know L.A. <laughs> right. Um, but what would I do to get back to my daughter, you know, or if I, like, if my daughter was still alive and someone told me I couldn't see them, like, what wouldn't I do mm-hmm. to kind of, kind of, kind of get back to her when she's doing, like, you know, she, mine is gone, but, you know, yours is still around. Yeah. Yeah. And, and um, I think that's why he's able to kind of engage in that back outside of just the environment thing. I think that there's something like they have a shared experience of loss Yet for for defense, his is still within reach, I guess, but not for him. He well, he doesn't want to, you know, grow grow up watching his daughter grow up behind bars. Essentially, right. he's like, you know, not bars that I, you know, built weapons to help protect, mm-hmm. which I think is also kind of drives him a little crazy. He's like, I spent my entire life defending this. Right. Like this is it, what I. It's yeah. mentioned, and probably why he has this vanity plate on his car that he worked in defense That's contracting, defense contracting, and, uh, building missiles. missiles. Yeah, and was, was laid off actually, like recently to prior to the events of this film. Yeah. Yeah, then that's like, that's a, his brief, briefcase has nothing in it. Except for a sandwich a and sandwich an apple. And, yeah. Yeah, when he finally relents and gives it to that homeless guy. Yeah. I think that is an excellent point you make um, about the shared experience between Prendergast and defense. And to go back to that final scene, it is a heartbreaking moment in yeah. a way where, you know, Prendergast gets defense without a gun. His wife, like, takes the gun and runs away with the child. And yeah. Prendergast has him cornered. And he's like, okay, okay, well, let's, we're going to go talk to these cops now. And they're good guys, trust me. And basically registers with defense when he says those cops are good guys. He's like, wait, I'm the bad guy here? <laughs> yeah. Like, how did that ha- And it's, it's a heartbreaking moment because you actually, like, you can tell in Michael Douglas's voice and his performance. Yeah. It's like... He, he didn't realize it, and it just, like, all comes crashing down onto him in mo- this moment where he is like, no, I, I actually am the bad guy. Yeah. He reflects on this day he had going across the city, all he did, everything that happened to him. And yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, it's very, that, that was heartbreaking, because it's like, yeah, he has that moment of realization, and then he's like, well, this happens one of two ways now. Right. Um, yeah, I either go out here, or... I I, I, I I live you yeah, out. yeah, yeah. <laughs> or I take you out and um Prendergast doesn't really want to do it. He's like, No, we don't have to do it this way. Come on. Defense. You, like, you said chance. it yourself. I I'm the bad guy. What's better than the, the sheriff and the, the villain? Yeah, shooting yep. it out in the end. Right. So we're gonna do I it have again. more guns on me. Yeah. yeah. And he did, just not the kind of gun you were expecting, because no. they have their quick draw and uh they both shoot, but Prendergast Nails him with a bullet. Nails defense. Yeah, defense actually had a water gun, a water gun on him that we saw earlier in the film. That yeah. he he picked up when he visited the house before tracking 
his wife and daughter down to that pier. Yes. Because we see uh, his daughter fill up the water gun earlier in the movie. That was Chekhov's water gun. Yes, yes, yeah. yeah. And I believe uh, right before he falls off the pier to his death, um, he says, I, I would have got, got you. you. Yeah, because yeah, uh, Prendergast has to wipe a little water off his face. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's like, I would have got you. And um, that's kind of like the story of his life. Like, I, I, I would have had it if... <laughs> X, Y, and Z didn't happen. It's kind of sad to just see it, like, him realize, like, it's over. And, right. and, and not only is it over, but, like, everything I've fought, or everything I spent my life defending and building, like, I, has has labeled me a criminal, and then, well, like, society's labeled me a criminal now, and, mm-hmm. I mean, my the, the sight of me, like, is revolting to my wife, so. Yeah, it's, it's his character's very sad because he is very much the villain, but he's also the victim. He's, yeah. He's both in the story. Definitely, but definitely. But I think that when you're talking about the links between Prendergast and defense, and you said um, earlier something to the effect of uh, you do have a choice, he's trying to show, or Schumacher, maybe yeah. in this movie, is trying to show you do have a choice. It's like these two guys are, you know, pushed around and they are a victim to a degree, but you don't have to be the villain. You yeah. can stop the you, villain, you, you too, can... being in the same position as him. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just, it's, it's kind of interesting, I think, how one necessitates the other, obviously. Um, but is it, uh, I, yeah, is it, is it a choice? I, I, I don't know if we're just kind of, are we all just stuck in, in character roles in society? Like, do we, do we have a choice in, in what we get labeled? Like, what's good one day could be bad the next Right for evil. Yeah. So I mean, like the Which moving target. Which definitely comments like, on the design of defense, where maybe it's like you know, back in the fifties, where this kind of looking person, like white what? guy, collared shirt, tie, short haircut, you know, this was the prime member of society, and he's not anymore. Yeah. And how does he deal with that? Right. Yeah. And it's just one example of uh, you find yourself in one role that's perceived one way one day and perceived another way, and he viewed himself, I guess, as this role is the life I have to commit to, and then I'll, I'll have that promise of the so-called American dream. Yep. But it didn't pan out for him. No, no. I mean, and it didn't really pan out for Prendergast either, you know, because I'm sure he would have traded chasing this guy down on his last day and getting a medal or whatever and being, like, sung in the, in the news as, like, oh, my God, like, what the, like, you know, and, you mm-hmm. know. Um, like, but Prendergast doesn't really get the American dream either. Because I'm sure he would have traded all that just to have his daughter. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> At least he does get some self-respect. Yeah, Stands up to end. his boss. Yeah, that was him great. to go fuck himself on t- on, on live on yeah on live TV after uh, yeah his boss swoops in and it's like, well, you know, this police department didn't do so well, but mine was the one that was figured it out. Oh, and here's the detective that did it. Yeah, and he just turns on and goes, "Fuck you." <laughs> <laughs> he also uh, punches that uh, his old partners partner who's an a-hole that's yes yes his old partner does she doesn't she wind up dead no no she's oh shot, no she's she shot goes, but she's okay she gets yeah. shot by defense um but she's okay yeah which kind of i think two prendergast realized like defense defense probably could have killed her and didn't right and, like kind of like winged her instead you know yeah um because he does still have some semblance of like right and wrong mm-hmm. but he just feels like the wrongs that he's faced that like his response to the wrongs he's faced is just so exorbitant, like, right. so, like so out of whack. Like yeah. he, like three minutes after breakfast, like you work in a service industry, you know, maybe not McDonald's. So like yeah, if like it's a, it's a hard cut, but like you're working in a place and someone comes in for brunch and brunch ends at eleven thirty, 
no, no, no. Breakfast ends at eleven thirty. Brunch is barely starting at eleven thirty. Um, you know, and they're three minutes later. Like, especially if you know the people, your fry cook is going to be like, "All right, sure." Like, I'll throw some eggs on. Yeah, like you right. know, you kind of, you kind of like three minutes is like. But what? an impersonal fast food restaurant like yeah. A McDonald's, yeah, you're probably not going to get that benefit of the time. No, but then to pull a gun on the place is like such a. Drastic response to the drastic, you know, hard line cut, like 1130, like no more breakfast is drastic, but so is, you know. I think that's part of the fun of the movie. As I said, these are things that a lot of us have to deal with, you know, in life. So seeing him rebel against those systems and say like, you know, screw you. I don't care if it's three minutes late. I'll hold up this place to get my dang breakfast. Yeah. There's fun in that, but it's just ultimately it's not justifiable his reaction to it, the, the extremities that he goes to. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Not justifiable. No, not. And uh, certainly not when we don't know why, like he needs to get home so desperately, Mm -hmm. you know, it's it's to, it's to celebrate his daughter's birthday. Like they used to. Um, Right. Which might not be the way he remembered it. Unfortunately. No, I don't think, I don't think he was around much. And that's, I think that's part of the reason that kind of, you know, nothing's definitive, but I think that's kind of what led to the separation between his wife. He wasn't around yeah. enough. Well, there's also that moment when he uh, gets back to the house and's watching some home movies before going out to track his daughter and ex-wife down to the pier. And he obviously had some image in his head of how his relationship with them was. But when he watches those movies... He's kind of a little mean and crass and stuff, and it, it doesn't line up with the ideas. And you can tell, like, he's seeing cracks in the facade, or they're starting to show. Yeah. And that eventually leads down to that final moment between him and Prendergast. Yeah, and the, and the light bulb moment where he's like, oh, well, wait, I am the bad guy. Kind yeah. Like, oh, and that's uh, actually the last shot of the movie, is zooming in on one of those home videos playing on the television. But unlike the ones he watched where, you know, he was a little rude and maybe kind of a meaner father than he would have thought. Like, it was actually a really nice moment they showed where him and his daughter and wife are smiling together and, like, legitimately happy. Yeah. So there was something there at some point. Yeah, he wasn't totally delusional. <laughs> it wasn't, like, you know, a failed marriage from the get-go. Like, there were happy moments. Yeah. Um, and he just he just happened to watch the wrong tape. Right. You know, but that helped him realize in the end what he would have become, so. True. Yeah. Okay. I think, uh... Do you have anything else you want to say? Uh, I think I think I'm I think I'm wrap. I recommend watching it. Yeah, um, but it's it? definitely like definitely a depressing one. So it's depressing. Know, it's, yeah, it's a little silly too at times. Uh, I I mostly give it a recommend. I would as well, definitely. I think it's a fun movie. It uh, gives you some stuff to chew on in the end. Yep. It definitely ends up on the positive jo- side of the Joel Schumacher filmography. Yes. And, uh, you know, Michael Douglas is great in it, and Robert Duvall is solid, as always. Okay. <laughs> yes, I yeah, love right. his laugh. Yeah, like, his, his laugh His laugh great. in that movie is hilarious. Um, and I, I, I finally, I know I've, I've been, uh, uh, you know, Sleeping on the on the clock on this one, but I have made a selection for oh, yeah. our for our next movie. Okay. It's going to be Ordinary Man. Ordinary Man. With I wish I could remember the names of directors and actors, but I cannot. Um, the guy who plays the fake terrorist in Iron Man Three. Oh, the uh, was the Mandarin. The Mandarin. The, the, Mandarin. the guy who plays the Mandarin. Yeah. Ben and Kingsley. I believe so. And then um, one of my new obsessions, uh, Hilga Helmar. Oh, okay. Yeah, she's actually fantastic. So it's like about this like ex. <laughs> actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, actually, as, fantastic. As she's um, those, uh, she plays uh, other actresses you love. I yeah, guess. I mean, I mean, you know, 
Um, yeah, I mean, most most of the actresses I love are good actresses, but um, she's got she doesn't have a a, a large di- um, you know videography. Like, I don't know what, what would you call it a large like she she was in um, Immortal Engines. She was the woman, the main character in Immortal Engines, the woman yeah, who always wore yeah, the... Yeah, that was uh, Peter Jackson. Movie. Yes, yeah. And then About, she like, would, the land cities? The land like, cities. The tank cities. Yeah, yeah, that movement right. fight one another for resources and stuff. She was in that. That's a really cool concept, I think, for a movie. Yeah. Or for a story in general, but uh, I heard the movie wasn't that great. Yeah. No, it wasn't. It bombed. It bombed, yeah, it wasn't, and it wasn't, it wasn't good. Like, it was fun, but it wasn't, like... Okay. It wasn't... It was kind of bad fun, like schlocky fun. Right? Yeah, yeah, and like some of the performances were good, but um, I, I didn't even recognize her in that because she's got that scar on her face from that one. But she's also Ma- she plays Magra in um, C, which I'm obsessed with. And if you guys anyone has Apple TV Plus, high recommend on that as well. Okay. So yeah, so that's what we'll be watching. Yeah, Ordinary Men. Ordinary Men. Something to look forward to. Uh, please check out our previous episodes and be sure to subscribe. We're on all good podcast directories out there. <coughs> Apple. Looking at you, Apple. <coughs> yeah, yeah, we're still waiting on Apple, but all good ones besides that. Yep. All right, thanks for joining. We'll see you later. Have a great night.